Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Passport night it's been. Ukraine sensationally remains in League B of the Nations League for another campaign. Rotan Bull propels the under-21s into next year's Euros, whilst the UPL resumes with plenty of goals and controversy. Who'd have it any other way? Anyway, welcome back. I'm Adam, and here's to another roller coaster edition of Ukraine Plus Football. Andrew took on Ukraine's senior triple header. What are the takeaways from the closing matches of 2022 for Zabina? <laughs> well, uh, disappointment. I think that was probably the main one. Just strange, really. Uh, sadly, the two main objectives of 2022 uh, sort of fell at the last hurdle. World Cup qualification and also promotion to League A in the Nations League. 3-0 away to Scotland, which was a very difficult watch. I'm sure we'll be discussing that slightly a bit more detail in a moment. On top of a 5-0 win. However, we do need to check that our guest has finally finished watching the match. (laughs) And on top of that, flew out to Armenia, which was a great couple days. Tiring but uh, enjoyable, to say the least. Got good uh, shashlik over there, um, good, decent decent pomegranate wine, and five goals in a 5-0 win for Zbirna, where players that are usually offside ended up scoring. So that was always a positive. Sadly, it all ended up uh, on a bit of a bleak and a bit of deja vu, in all honesty, when... I had flashbacks to Wales when I was sitting in the press box in Krakow. As Birna were trying to score, it was pissing it down with rain, but no give. Uh, Dovbik offside about five times. Yermolenko blazing over the bar. That's probably the equivalent of his own goal in the Wales game. And yeah, Ukraine remain in League B uh, for another time. They're in pot three for the upcoming Euro uh, qualifier draws. That makes it a bit harder for Ukraine in general, but, you know, on the whole, it gets a better chance of Ukraine drawing a British team. So I don't think any of us will complain about that. Whirlwind past 10 days, I think. Um, quite happy <laughs> that it's over. Let's just see what what the what the near future holds for Zbirna and uh, their manager. Uh, definitely so, definitely so. Can't wait to dive into that a little bit later on. Great, as always, to welcome back our good friend, Ross Taylor, today, Ross. Brilliant to see you again, mate. Hope you've been keeping well. It's a bit like Zabina going back to the old days, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. When Yarmolenko fired over after four minutes, there was that feeling of, here we go again, we know what's going to happen. And, and Andrew nails it as well. It, it did feel like the Wales game, didn't it? Where he thought he could have still been playing now and they wouldn't have scored it was just going to be one of those nights but the frustrating thing was after Wales you thought it can't be one of those nights but 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 it was it you know and also you think at least against Wales they worked the keeper you know they made the keeper the keeper was a man of the match wasn't he Hennessy was man of the match was that night Craig Gordon didn't have a great deal to do did he it was it just felt there's almost a a level of acceptance and and the Yarmolenko thing I'm sure we'll come on to it but my thoughts watching him and hate to criticize players at the best of times but I just don't think playing in the UAE is doing him any good because he just looked off the pace. He looked up, you know, there was the ball, there's a ball through for Dovbik, which is brilliant, the outside of the football, uh, which, uh, you know, Dovbik got through one-on-one and was saved by Gordon. Uh, but I just think he, he looks off the pace. And in the game, particularly against Scotland at the nil-nil draw, they, they'd obviously figured out that Mudrick's the danger. So they doubled up on him. So, you know, pushed everyone to one side and forced him back. So Mudrick was having to defend instead of attack. But usually that should create space on the other wing. 
for someone like Yarmolenko to exploit, but he just looked off the pace. And and you're right about, you know, Dovbik was, he had that one of those Inzaghi days, did he? What did Sir Alex Ferguson say about Inzaghi? He was born offside and Dovbik <laughs> just had one of those days. Were unfortunate, but yeah, I can't stress as much. It was it was deja vu. It was, and I did watch. I watched the game because of work. Twenty uh, the morning after, so twelve hours after full time. So I didn't know the score. I avoided the result, which is hard in my job to do. And it just made it even more painful watching because it just went on and on. And with twenty minutes to go in the rain, at least I wasn't in the rain like Andrew was getting soaked. But I thought it's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? And it, it certainly was. So can you think what Ray thinks about it all? Uh, definitely. I mean, Ray, mate. Uh... In your eyes, you're always good at picking someone to blame. Who was it this time? Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here again. Uh, yeah, I've done my research, right? Yeah, I've done my homework. I've been <laughs> I've been investigating Petrakov throughout the whole time. And I have to say that, um, well, it's not about the blame. It's about the um, acceptance of our uh, true... Um, destination in this uh, tournament and this in this year in, in general because um well you can blame the weather you can blame like like, like Petrico obviously did after spitting on the clean shiny floor or you can blame the um circumstances and you know the players physique uh, they are they don't have any concentration because of the championship going wrong in ukraine like they're not interested not motivated enough See, it's not it's not about that. It's about keeping up with um, with what we have here. And uh, really, now right now, it's 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 really about acceptance. You had the despair. You had the stage of despair. You had the um, stage of um, protesting, and then you kind of deny it. Yeah, I think the word is denial. And now it's about acceptance. I'm not sure if it's five stages, but remember this documentary about him. It it, it, it was called Five Finals which is now deleted from YouTube. And it's a shame because I wanted to, it was the one, maybe one bit I'm missing in my investigation is that exact documentary. Anyway, uh, he is the man for the job and he will uh, be carrying our flag in front of the nation in hopes for qualifying for Euro 2024. What about Zinchenko, Mr. Zinchenko here? Obviously missing from uh, match days, missing from the squad. Was he a big enough miss? Has he impressed enough for you, Ray? Yeah, Arsenal this season and his performances earlier this year for Zabina, that is he the guy who's going to take Zabina forward? And if he had been there, is there a chance he could have driven the team over the line? Or am I just in that state of denial, refusing to accept it yet? I see you've done some homework as well. Uh, good thing. Um, yes, despite my... I just listened. <laughs> Uh, despite my criticism of uh, the three uh, brightest stars of the national of our national team back in summer, Zinchenko was amongst them. But now, as you mentioned it, I realized that he would be fit for the Petra, Petra Ball because Petra Ball loves to play uh, wings. He likes to overextend them with uh, the presence of his uh, players, creative or not. But his first um, lineup when he... Uh, went on to become a senior team manager was 3-4-2-1, which tells you that these these are triangles all over the pitch. And he refused he refused this uh, scheme when he uh, faced Bosnia and we won and he switched to four in the back. That's why he, after that, uh, this year, he was inconsistent. He couldn't pick the right formation for any, for each game. He kept switching between five and four in the back. But his true essence is the wing play. That's why Zinchenko would be perfect fit for the left back position. And he's probably the only one who would. Because we remember Malinowski, he likes to carry the ball. He did that with Scotland, but no luck. Uh, well put, he is out of condition and should be placed somewhere else. Maybe to under 23 team like he used to play in West Ham. I don't know. Anyway, yes, that's what I think. <laughs> Russ, you mentioned there about Scotland doubling up on Mudrick. Was that, you know, was that sort of one of the key issues in the game, or is it more that Mudrick is still at national team level, at that top level, still inconsistent, still hasn't hit that peak form where he's able to maintain the high standards that we know he can perform? Uh, 
but can he maintain it now to that level, which will push him to the the truly top echelons of the game? It's a fair point, but I think looking, especially in that first game in Mudrick, it, it, everything was going through him. So it seemed the team was wholly reliant on him as well. For someone who is relatively inexperienced at international football, you know, that's where you probably need your leaders, your, your Molinas and people like that to sort of step up and, and take that mantle on. And, and early on, certainly in the first half against Scotland in the 3-0 defeat, they were, they were scared to death of him because every time he got the ball, he had pace, they backed off. But then they had a chat at half time, said, right, this is what we're going to do. And, and as soon as he was neutralised, it felt like the rest of the national team went flat and it felt like they were relying on him and it was right, let's give him the ball. You know, the old Shevchenko days, you're not saying he's anywhere compared to Shevchenko, but give the ball to Shevra and hope something happens. It felt like that. And that shouldn't be the case with Mudrik because Mudrik is, is still, like you so quite, you know, rightly said, is still developing as a player and the onus was put on him. So that was the disappointing thing. They changed, Ukraine didn't. And in the second game, the nil-nil draw, it was up to Ukraine to change and do something different, and Ukraine didn't. So, and that has to come down to you, you can you can look at the players and say, was there a mentality of here we go again, as we said before, you know, it's not going to happen, or do you look at Petrikov and say, what did he say at half time? Why didn't he change it? What you know, maybe that was a time when you had to do things differently. I felt it just stayed stale for so long and to the point where because of tactical changes didn't happen, there's almost a mentality creeps in that it's not going to be our night again. And that's where it sort of drifted off. So I'd be interested to, you know, think from all you guys, you know, if, if Petrikov went tomorrow, would you look back on his, his reign as being a success? Because you can say, look, you know, he's got, he's got to the last hurdle, but hasn't achieved, you know, you've got Rebrov in the wings that lots of people want to think would be ideally suited and might be that personality that the players look up to with, you know, you know, like, like Sheva as a national team boss, although I think Sheva lacked a little bit tactically, had that, credence as a character to get more out of players but I'd really be interested to see if you know from from all of you if, if you think you know how much you don't want to blame him completely because he wasn't on the pitch but how much lies with Petrikov how much lies what should what he should have done and and if you know if the national team need a character rather than a tactician and it's good one so Andrew I know you've been you were commenting commenting a lot on this during the games where are the substitutes where are the substitutes I think with your your tweets um yeah, great point that Ross raised, raises there. You know, with Rebrov in particular, I know you've been talking about him being a sort of front runner to take over. Will he bring that tactical? Is he kind of the, the halfway house between Shevchenko and a, a Petrikov, so to speak? I don't know about halfway house. You could probably say a combination of the two. Um, so, whereas Petrikov, I think probably knows his way around the football pitch slightly better tactically than Shevchenko does. Shevchenko had that motivation that prevented such second halves as we saw against Scotland, where, you know, everyone dropped their heads and that was it. When, when it was Shevchenko, you were like, hey, listen, we can get a draw here or we can get a win in the last minute. Like how many last minute goals were there under Shevchenko? Like loads after the 90th minute. And that was the kind of thing that under Petrikov, so far that we've seen in, I don't know, how a year and a half that he's been as manager, like that's never come through. There's like literally, it gets to the 75th minute and you know, this score is staying as it is because there's not really any motivation. Another thing, I'll, I'll come back to the substitutes. Yeah, we saw the same in the Wales game and we saw the same against Scotland in the nil-nil. He just brought them on way too late. 75th minute, what do you really want or expect for someone from like Sahankov or Yaremchuk to sort of perk in when Scotland are already sort of 10 men behind the ball, part of the bus. They know that they can hold on now. You know, you're not going to break that down as fresh legs as, you know, you can want. And I think even uh, the fact that he started Yarmolenko was a bit of a mistake too, because we saw how well that Yarmolenko played when he came on against uh, Armenia. Final 30 minutes, he actually was playing like the old days of Yarma, where, you know, he was the better player. He had a bit of the edge on, on someone. He was doing all the flicks, all the skills. And that's he's got that energy for maybe half an hour and he can do it well against flagging players. Whereas when he's starting and he's... And I think he played like literally 85 minutes or whatever and then he came off and that was like, bloody heck. This guy is 33. We know that he's not been able to keep up with it. Okay, he's playing week in, week out in Arab Emirates, but that's not like an intense league or anything. That might help with just, 
general conditioning, but not match fitness to the extent that he can play the full the full match. And I think that coming into this new uh, qualifying campaign, whoever comes in, hopefully it is Rebrov, albeit I don't see him coming in before the summer. Because obviously there's going to be, uh, he's going to have to break his contract with Alain. There's going to be more of that, uh, you know, questioning of compensation and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that uh, Uaf want to pay that. So what we might see, which I think is largely being circulated in Ukrainian media, other journalists as well, sort of the general consensus is that Petrikov might stay on with the first two matches in the qualifying campaign, which I think two match days in March. And then after that, if Rebrov is free, because I think apparently he's got a his contract ends, but he's got the option of a plus one deal. So it's it's like a mutual agreement or something like that. So if he can, if he, you know, accepts to leave Alain and comes into the Ukraine job, then I think it would be it's what everyone's wanted for a few years now. And mm-hmm. you know, we've seen that technically and credentials wise on paper, everything that. Rebrov is probably a better coach than Shevchenko. He doesn't solely rely on his backroom staff for sort of tactical decisions, such as maybe Andrea Maldera, who's currently at Brighton, uh, played a massive role in his backroom staff when Shevchenko was there. Um, So I think we'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Yarmolenko, for me, I think he has to take a bit of a backseat. He can stay as captain like Piatov did, where he wasn't playing in every game. But just give maybe the captain's armband to someone like Zina and let maybe the likes of Tahankov start, play a bit better, because against Armenia, okay, yeah, they were a very poor opposition. But, you know, Timchik and Tahankov playing down that right, they look really good, like dynamic. And Tahankov, I think, is released from his uh, Dynamo Kiev uh, chains, you could say, where he doesn't want to perform there because he's just fed up of not being allowed to leave and all that kind of stuff. You know, the attitude is just not there. When it comes to national team, sort of uh, opens up a bit more, puts in a bit more energy, fights for that second ball. And on the whole, I think uh, it would be a lot more beneficial for, for Zbirna. Sad, sad is to say, I think Yermolenko, you know, against one of those pot five or six teams can still get up to uh, Sheva's goal scoring record. He only needs three and then uh, to equal and then four to beat him. And I'm sure he could get a hatchet against San Marino or someone like that. But, you know, at the moment, I think in these big games that he probably needs to rely on a new, uh, on a new, on a new winger. And someone else I think is probably also past it. And someone that I really don't want to see in a sort of as being a shirt again, as, as sad as, or as critical as it might be, is said he said, he is just not of the caliber to be, controlling anything in the centre of midfield. Always a second too slow of his decision-making for the pass, either plays it out wide or somewhere where it's just it's slowing down the attack. And when it comes to defensive capabilities, he's just not a touch on Stepanenko, even Ignatenko. Ignatenko, probably the biggest positive from that past window, looks like a great player. I think he'll be coming into the starting eleven very soon and hopefully he'll be um, a stalwart for, for years to come, especially with Stepanenkov phasing himself out as well because of, you know, fitness and injury problems there. Yeah. I think well said. I mean, Ray, agree there? Disagree? Where do you see Yarmolenko going forward or going backwards? Um, well, Yarmolenko is definitely the man for the dressing room. And as we were discussing Petrikov the last uh, five minutes, uh, his reign as a national team coach was all about the dressing room. And as Russ mentioned, the halftime team talk, right? So uh, obviously now, as I mentioned previously, some of the players are clearly not motivated. Yarmshuk has tough time in Belgium coming back. Uh, all of our... Uh, other prominent guys, uh, like Zinchenko was absent. We talked about Malenko plenty. Uh, Malinovsky wasn't one one man on, on the field who can who could just uh, solve the problem. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough tough time right now. But with Petrikov, rem- remember his press conferences. Character is what he, he it was his gut, a plenty. And uh, I don't know about tactics. Like I said, he uh, gave up his vision. Uh, just for the result, he uh, he realized that playing four in the back is more beneficial, which we saw against Scotland did not eventually work out. But 
uh, with Petrakov, uh, he uh, on every press conference he needed to confirm that he's the head coach and he knows his way around. He's been speaking to himself and not to any of us or the players. That was the feeling which he got when he entered this dressing room every other day, every any given Sunday. Remember that movie? So, and that's what that's the character which makes us talk about him over and over again. And in terms of his future as a coach. I have to mention that he got one objective completed, which was reaching the playoffs last year. He did it, no matter what. And that's how he got the position eventually, because he stepped up as an um, acting manager, remember? And now we are saying that Rebrov joins in summer, just after his uh, other two games in charge for Petrokov in March. Well, it doesn't make any sense, right? He's coming back to what it was. In the at first place, he's acting manager until Rebro appears. Clearly, he will he will stay. I mean, he, it's okay for him because he's got a lot to prove, and the saga continues. But um, eventually, as a result, uh, with him uh, as a as a coach, um, he needs to probably find the his essence again right so we, we talked about it before like in summer so he needs to he needs to re remember how it was for him and uh, just to throw it into you guys uh if we talk about Shevchenko like we remember this 2019 when we beat Portugal and it was a triumph when we uh entered the um what was it Euro 2020 which was um 2021 uh, uh, yes delayed eventually and uh, eventually, when it was played in 2021, uh, we were like, oh, now that's not the same team. These are not the same players. Come on. We should play the 2019 team. Bring it back. And now, as I mentioned, Petrakov reaching the playoffs and he, the only objective he got completed. In 2022, yes, we beat Scotland and we faced Wales afterwards, which uh, just was the, the problems which we all discussed today already. They were, we just faced them. We just faced the music. We had to. And it was a failure, obviously, for Petrokov. 2022, it's the year he would probably like to, any, most of the Ukrainians would like to replay or at least like forget, right? But again, yeah, if we compare the team of 2022 and all the atmosphere and all this stuff, which we've been discussing on and on, with 2021 under Petrokov, is it the same as Shuchenko 2019 and 2020? That's my question to you. Yeah. It's one that will be debating for months and probably deep into 2023 as well. I want to go back to 2020 as well now, though, because, Russ, I remember me and you having a phone call after Shakhtar beat Real Madrid in the Bernabeu back in September 2020, when you were waxing lyrical about Kornienko, who'd torn it up that night. And sadly, of course, Kornienko has suffered with ill health injuries and hasn't quite pushed on as well as we'd hoped. But when we look at the guys, Mudrik was around the scene at that time. Sikhan Sudakov played that night as well. And we look at the ways uh, Zabina's squad has changed over the years, and in particular, the success of the under-21s with their 5-2 uh, aggregate victory, qualifying for the Euros, for the first time in how many years, Andrew? I know you're good for a stat. I think it's 11. Uh, there we 2011 go. or something like that. What right on cue. And we know in this room we've got a lot of fans of Rotan. Uh, Rotan ball is, is a big thing here at the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast. Well, now for you, Russ, has the Shakhtar Academy finally overtaken the Dynamo one? Yeah, absolutely. I think just looking at that under-21 squad and looking, obviously players have moved, you know, a lot of players have moved to different places, but everybody's come through that Shakhtar Academy, haven't they? And and it was, I was always brought up in the times as everyone came through DK. It was, that 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 was it. You know, if, if you always started there and then you drifted off. So the, the, the Shakhtar mentality, the way is, you know, we, we discussed off air of how they've taken on, the, you know, the Barcelona principles, haven't they? And taken on that model that it's, it's bringing through these players and this winning mentality. And I was in Barcelona a couple of, uh, couple of months back and I was, I was watching, they, they broadcast their under eights games on Barcelona TV and they all play the same formation. 
And then I went to watch the B team, Barcelona B, and everybody plays, follows through. And it, it's, it's like the old Ajax Academy, but it works, but it breeds a mentality. And I think the great thing about that mentality is it's a mentality that wasn't overawed to lose that first leg 3-2 against Slovakia, but to turn it around in the second leg. They had every opportunity to throw that away, but to go and turn Slovakia over 3-0, and obviously we could have done with Sikan, you know, playing for play, probably playing for the, uh, the first team, to be honest, and, and make a difference. But it, it is, they've got a production line now, and success breeds success, because every one of those players coming through under 18s, under 19s, is looking at the under 21s and going, hold on a minute, they can do it, we can progress, and it's better. So, it's it's amazing how time has changed where everything used to be relied on, you know, conscious Asper on 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 Dinamo and, and what was going on. And it's not, you know, it's Shakhtar who are providing, you know, the you know, the future of Ukrainian football and especially those under 21s who did it absolutely amazingly well to, you know, to and we've probably forgotten about them as well. They're probably the, you know, they're the ones who've lost out a little bit because we're all thinking about the national team and quite rightly so that they failed, but they achieved. So, uh, yeah, you know, can't not Ruslan Rotan, great first name. And uh, I remember from his uh, from his days and it's, it's, it's great to see the future's bright. You know, we complain, you know, we were talking about a lot of the players who we think their time might be up, but we can look at the under 21s and say their time is just around the corner. And that's something positive to look forward to. I mean, you talk about Rotan there. Any chance of him getting a push up to the seniors or does is his place with the under-21s. Andrew, Ray, any rumours on the Great Barn? I don't. I think he's probably considered in a in a shortlist if it will come to it. But right now, I think he'll be given the opportunity to see this project through, uh, to take the team to Romania and Georgia. Great co-host, by the way. Hopefully, Ukraine get the Georgia strip of that. Um, and, it, I mean, it should be a, should be a fascinating tournament. And obviously, if you make it to the semi-finals, I think you get a place at the Olympics. I mean, that will be like a massive thing because Ukraine's never had a team at the Olympics before. So um, that will be very that will be quite a good motivation for the team. And on paper, like Russ says, great. There's great talent, an abundance of talent. I mean, last week or the last episode, we were discussing was. You know, there was the big debate in Ukrainian football. Should Mudrik and uh, Zabani be dropped down during this window and, you know, mean because they've got more important matches in these playoffs and there's been uh, losing out on the Nations League. That's like less important and all this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, we saw Ruslan Rotan football finally sort of come to fruition. We've seen some terrible results from him over the past couple of years. They've fallen short, but I think he's finally... I mean, sort of worked out his starting 11, um, you know, working out exactly who should play where. And, you know, hopefully there'll be a few friendly games or whatever before the tournament and he can sort of hone that in. But on the whole, a good positive things coming out of that side. And fingers crossed that a lot of them will get the opportunity to, you know, play for the seniors in, in the future. And another positive thing, I think, Russ mentioned that a lot of them come from the Shakhtar Academy, but a lot of them now, obviously due to probably the war and other, other circumstances, a lot of them are playing abroad. Mm-hmm. And that's like something that is unheard of, really. You know, you had, when, when Russ was talking about Conscious Aspa being the sort of the Academy of football, of Ukrainian football, everyone was still playing for like Dynamo Kiev 2 or something like that. And then they never, ever made it to, you know, to the, potential that they possibly could have because they would have ended to, up to some... any of the football clubs to any of the football <laughs> yeah clubs, they have... yeah they just would have ended up going somewhere to like Vodska or wherever else and mm-hmm. never really doing it so this is like a perfect opportunity in a way sort of a uh a cloud of uh, a silver silver lining from the the kind of current horrors that are happening in Ukraine but from, from a footballing perspective it's good to see that the national team's developing Albeit maybe the domestic game is on a slight decline that we're we're currently seeing. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts. Usually it's very difficult to balance both of them. So right now, I think it's something that we should be, you know, um, well, we should be commending that Rotan's obviously playing quite well. I think the lower the lower groups are trying to sort of play something similar to him and with Shevchenko was in he handpicked Rotan because he wanted to play sort of a similar football 
as the under-21s, as the national team. Obviously, with Petrakov, it's sort of um, Fomenko-style <laughs> football, if, if, if you want to put it at that, to not be too offensive. But, you know, obviously a lot more advanced Fomenko-style football. But going forward, if Rebov came in, he's the kind of person that will sort of put this top-down approach where he'll tell everyone in the under under 21s, under 19s, going down and down and down. Listen, we want to play football like this. Prepare every, prepare all the age groups to play football like this so that when they come to the seniors, they can you know be prepared for the kind of uh, tactics and display that we want to show. So that would be another positive of a Rebrov. But um, yeah, a good stuff. Good stuff overall from the under 21s. And fingers crossed some, some positive things coming through from everywhere else. Just to throw in there, you know, what what a curious situation to outsiders. Obviously, we've all got, you know, love of Ukrainian football, but a curious situation where the current coach is thinking he's he could go. He's looking over his shoulder. There's another fellow who's who obviously, you know, we can't all speak for him, but we can. He wants the job. He's desperate for the job because that's the ultimate job. He'd, I'm sure if he could, he'd be over and he'd take it straight away. But it's such a curious situation. And think about being in that dressing room. You know, if you're playing for Petrikov, you're thinking, yeah, I might not put it in this time, but you know, Rebrov's coming in in a couple of months, you know, and that's so disconcerting, you know, or mm-hmm. is he going to come in? You know, it needs clearing up one way or another. It needs to come out and say, look, we're going to stick with Petrikov or we're going to say, look, Rebrov's going to come in, you know, Rotan covers it for a couple of, you know, you know, steps up and does it. But it's such a, it's such a situation. There's no benefits can come from this situation of Petrikov looking over his shoulder thinking, am I going to go or not? I'm gonna... There needs to be some sort of definitive decision one way or another for, for all concerned, but most importantly for the players in that dressing room, because, we all know if you think that manager's on his way, then then there's nothing positive going to come from that. Of course, one has. I mean, what's the general mood about these young players coming through? Like, you know, here on our show, we've been talking about talents like Modric and that to the cows come home. But I mean, Ray, over in in Kiev in general, is there excitement about the under twenty ones? Is there like you know the label golden generation gets thrown around? quite easily at times is it something that could be applied to these these kids coming through I mean, what's the general feel with them yeah well against my odds uh, after I called them fresh of the boat stallions which wouldn't qualify because they are just just concerned they just have too much of their minds in Europe the one thing is that we cannot label them golden generation now because we don't know where they are like the general uh, football fan in Ukraine they where is Sitch playing whereas um um, this guy, Kucharevich playing. He was playing in France or whatever, like the city group club. No, he's in Hibernian, right? And that's what we know, right? Because we're like following Ukrainian football, which we try to. Uh, but in Kiev, in general, <laughs> yes, all those guys are in Europe and they are proving the best, uh, their best, trying to prove their best selves. And um, that's, a, that's a great silver lining. And uh, I think Rebrov should, uh, sorry, Rotan should uh, prove himself as well in this Euro Championship. Because remember, if we talk about Rotan style and uh, Petra, Petra Ball, Petrakov is the world champion. <laughs> Ukraine won the World Cup in 2019, under 20. But still, when we talk about the generation, uh, I just, uh, fa- I'm just uh, looking at the squads of the final match in this tournament, which we won. Uh, the Shakhtar Academy players were Bondar, Kornienko, Konoplia, um, uh, Czech, who's, uh, who was in the system, but he's gone now, Sikan, uh, and Kashuk. There's like seven of them. And maybe I actually missed someone. Uh, Drish Luke, was he there? I'm, I'm not sure. But that's the fact. Like, that was the, the as golden as it gets, platinum generation. And yeah, like these are these are the names which are, are on our minds from time to time, right? We hear we hear about them. They are on the surface, um, and uh, Petrakov did it. So it's for up for what time to conclude the next chapter. And in terms of uh, Fomenko football, yeah, that's the main difference between Fomenko and Petrakov. It's just that yeah, they are. If we uh, just think about the way we saw. The games we saw, yes, we can think about Fomenko, but uh, yeah, that's this one thing you can call it. Uh, we can talk about the differences between being a uh, youth coach and a senior coach, 65 years old, you know, not much behind your back, but still, that's that's something you um, you can enter the room with, and this room might not be the one which is uh, favorable 
which is in your favor. And that was clearly not the case with Petrico because the pressure this guy was under it was intense. Now, Shakhtar, they're making their annual pilgrimage to Madrid this week. And uh, Danny Sikan now is in Marco Negri-esque goal scoring form with a double hat-trick week for our new star striker. I mean, is he going to continue this form and get four goals in the burnabout? Is he going to get the standing ovation that Modric got 12 months ago? Or are we just getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? And more interestingly, are there going to be Ukrainians playing on both sides of the pitch this week? How do we see it going, gents? Andrew? Uh, I'm actually going out for this one. Uh, one day job. Um, sadly, uh, Madrid hotels, etc. Slightly too expensive to, to go for the pre-match press conference. Uh, I'm just going for match day. Anyway, um, I think that Lunin has got a good chance of starting because Courtois was injured this weekend. Lunin played. Sadly, didn't keep a clean sheet, which I think we're still waiting on for, for, for his time at Madrid. Um We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, could have even be beneficial. But, you know, Lunin has just had three games in a row for, you know, for Zbirna, two and then Madrid. So that's always a positive. He could be on four soon as well. On top of that, we're going to be seeing Daniel Sakan possibly start because Traore has not been entrusted yet for whatever reason. Albeit, I think against the Real Madrid defence, Traore might be more robust and you know, deployable from that perspective. On top of that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's sort of a shop window for a lot of this Shakhtar team. This is sort of the big match, the hardest match of the the hardest match of the tournament. Can these players step up? Mudrik impressed last year, but you know, Shakhtar still lost, and Mudrik played some cool passes and did some nice dribbles, but didn't actually have any sort of lasting influence on the game. So this year, I think he's going to be extra motivated to try and do something. Let's just hope it doesn't uh, end up with him trying to be too greedy or something like that, or trying to, you know, take everything upon himself, like we've seen maybe on some occasions. But it's going to be interesting. And I don't know, just in recent time, I think recent form, Real Madrid not been playing the best football. And you never know. Jovicic has been doing some random wonders. I just worry about the defence. If Valeri Bondar is starting against the likes of Benzema or whoever, it could be quite a, a long night. Oh, but he's got his new tactic, hasn't he, that I saw in, at Hamden. That, that should uh, deal with Benzema pretty quickly. Yeah, just boot it out and hope. Boot Benzema out and hope. I think that was the technique. All right, sorry, God. I've, I've been reading some stuff that I can't quite get my head around now. Like Shakhtar have been accused of having the league being set up for them because the Lviv game's being called off and all sorts of nonsense going on in that kind of classic UPL way. Am I right with that, Ray? What's what sort of the, the background story there? The match was rescheduled because Shakhtar asked for that. They have an important game against Real Madrid representing Ukraine. And uh, some people thought it's done because um, Shakhtar is the only one club in Premier League. Uh, hence, some of the other teams would lack these points in the final match days of the season. When we need it, when they would need it to win the championship, but it, just because Shakhtar was more fit and won their game later, they have the advantage. It's a classic story. I mean, you could uh, read the um, old book of fairy tales of UPL <laughs> to find plenty of those plots. But in general, it's no big deal, really. I mean, you you can you can call UPL being orange and black. Um, just because these colours look nice. Definitely so. Definitely so. Eloquently put there. I mean, sort of my memory goes back to match day one. I, I do believe the EK and uh, Fate Dnipro's games were both pulled off as well because of European games. Andrew, did the journalists make the same stink back then? Or was that kind of all forgiven? 
No, as far as I'm aware, it wasn't. But I think there's a slight caveat in that, that the matches for match day one were meant to be literally on or the day before the European ties. However, even whatever context you put it in, Shakhtar are playing, uh, obviously, Real Madrid this week on Wednesday. Then they were meant to play Lviv on either Saturday or Sunday. And then they would have had to play uh, Real Madrid on the Tuesday uh, in Warsaw. Whereas Dinamo, obviously, and Dnipro won, they're going to be playing on Thursday this week. Then they'll play their weekend match probably on Sunday. And then they can play on Thursday again. So on the whole, it sort of seems less convoluted for them, despite the fact that they will be travelling in and out of Ukraine Mm. and whatnot. But, you know, slightly less intense. And on top of that, Shakhtar playing in the Champions League. I'm sorry, if you don't make the Champions League, which Dinamo had the opportunity to, then I think you can't really complain about something like this. Albeit the club themselves aren't complaining about this. It's more uh, maybe media and journalists that have got sympathies to them, if, if we can put it one way or another. No, we can't say that, surely. They they don't support certain clubs. Nobody would be owning up to support Dynamo Kiev this season, surely, Ross, given their performances. <laughs> um, I, their game against Rennes, I mean, the French league's looking rather impressive. Any chance for Dynamo in that, Ross? Do you think? Well, the, 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 the finally, finally put together three, you know, put together a win at the weekend, haven't they? But I hope so. But at the same time, I just think they're poor, aren't they? They just thought you, you're quite right when so many of them, you know, there's some big names who want moves, and there's nothing more pointless than a player who wants a move playing, you know, because it, it's no good, you know. And it, there's so many people who wanted to, and and there's so many Ukrainian players playing abroad now. Gone are the days when they're they're almost entombed you know, in, in, in the nation and they can't get out and play. So, of, of course, they just look like they need a reset. And uh, and I, I really don't fancy him, fancy him getting any. They've, they've been limping through this campaign already. And, uh, you know, the, going back very quickly to the argument about, you know, Shakhtar moving their games, it happens over in Britain so much, happens particularly in Scotland with when Rangers and Celtic were involved and games would be moved and, you know, often Celtic were involved in the Champions League and then Rangers would be, or, you know, people in the media who maybe were a little, a little bit more uh, on Rangers' side would be unhappy about that fixture being moved. But as the lads have quite rightly said, you, you've got to think of, you know, the importance, they're in the Champions League, they're representing the nation, you've got to put that forward, you've earned that right by doing what you've done to, to, to move forward. For, for Dinamo, no, I've, I've got very little faith. When I've watched them, they've just flattered to deceive. I just don't think they seem to have an identity about them anymore. And for all our frustrations over the years, they always used to have an identity. It didn't usually work or it you know, often, often <laughs> fell apart. But, but this one, it, it, they just seem a pale shadow of themselves. And I don't think that's particularly good for Ukrainian football as a whole. Uh, thankfully, like I said, you've got, you've got fake Dnipro now to uh, take on that mantle, haven't you? Certainly have. And our uh, favourite goalkeeper, Andrew, Max Wallace. Was it no goals conceded in four games so far in the UPL? He's absolutely tearing up the league. Yeah. Um, right. Fake Dnipro got one of my... Favorite teams in European football, Vados. So happy that this Liechtenstein team have made the group stage. I've got to say, neutral hat on with that one. Actually, no. Uh, it, I am going to hope that Maxwell does concede a couple of goals and sod the coefficient in this game because I would like to see Vados get get a little bit of glory there. They were my go-to team on Football Manager for many years. Uh, there's my uh, dirty little secret out in the in public. Um, anyone see anything other than a Denis Pro? Yeah, no, I think Dovbik, as long as he stays on side, it should be rather comprehensive in both in both ties. The Domingo Blanco is a proper talent, like really good stuff. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen his assist for Dovbik on the weekend uh, against Lviv. It was like really good stuff. Um, so he's someone that I'm sure that Dnipro one will be trying to sell either in January or in the summer. But as long as they get these two wins out of, you know, out and then maybe a draw against Apollon, I think that they should be good to go for for a European spring. And that, you know, as much as you can hate Dnipro one at the moment, you just have to count them as representatives for Ukraine in the coefficients, because if they don't perform, 
we know that Dinamo probably won't this term. They won't be getting out of any group stage. Then someone needs to. And uh, because from next season, as we know, there's no automatic uh, Champions League group stage spot. So it's going to be a long, hard slog. And obviously we've seen the likes and a renaissance in Scottish football in recent years, but they were in the wilderness for like mm. a decade so we need to make sure that something like that doesn't happen, especially with the circumstances that Ukraine as a whole finds itself in with uh, the Russian invasion and everything else. So, um, you know, just from a purely neutral hat on, hopefully the Diplo one get, get the six points over this sort of two week period home and away and, you know, continue going forward. I would like Dinamo to win, but, you know, against Ren, who apparently are quite playing quite well in league on at the moment and are quite a solid team. Um, I just don't see it happening. Uh, one nil against Manai is all well and good, but that was also a bit of a long, hard slog and struggle. So, you know, it, it's going it's to be, it's going to be a bit of a weird, a weird and I guess unpredictable uh, next week in European football. And when the fixtures are literally every single week, it's uh you know, with fatigue and travel and everything and not even having like little breaks and stuff, anything can happen in, in my opinion. Looking more domestically, it's a real nice story, this one. Uh, one of the first clubs I ever visited in, in Ukraine was uh, Veres Rivna, a beautiful stadium down on the beach in uh, Maliniv where we could have a, a nice barbecue and a sh- few shots of brandy before the game and then go in with their ultras and enjoy a match. They finally got to play a game in their home city of Rivna for the first time in five years this week. It looked a fantastic experience. I know, Andrew, you caught a bit of it. It was quite an emotional occasion, I think, for everyone involved. Yeah, looks like a great stadium. I've had it not fully finished. Both uh, stands on each end of the goal haven't been constructed yet, but the two main stands are done. And yeah, it looks like a really good stadium. 15,000 when it's finally finished. Hopefully it can host some under-21s matches, maybe a Ukrainian Cup final or something in the future when it comes to it. And I think that some good, very good infrastructure going on, footballing-wise, for for Veres and the sort of team that they want to... um, produce over there and develop it, it it's looking quite good they didn't get quite get the win they they still waiting on their first ever win against the Rukh Lviv 2-2 uh, despite some haphazard goalkeeping from Yuri Pankyov um, it still it still meant that uh, Rukh managed to find an equaliser in the end and on the whole uh, I think that it's good to see s- such infrastructure being built in Ukraine. Obviously, we visited it last summer when it was half built. Looked quite good. Um, we got did other it, stadiums. Did it? did it really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but like we've got other infrastructure. Obviously, the Krivbas Stadium is currently on hold due to obviously being so close to the front line. But hopefully, once that's done as well, that should be coming along quite nicely. And we should have a few more new modern stadiums to replace the soviet bowls that are crumbling uh all around the country so yeah uh good stuff from veris um interesting that they like they had the priests come in uh bless the stadium i think they've got their own little um what you can call a little temple sort of church thing inside the stadium so if you want to got a prayer room you can go there obviously as a good old couple of it who's not actually uh, connected with Veris Rivne, uh, but still uh, go to church every before every match, which Veris some actually do. I think as sort of a bit of a tradition. On the whole, uh, very sort of interesting club. Apparently, they were saying that, um, especially before this game, that they get they've got one of the lowest wages in the UPL, and it's all based on if they get wins. They get bonuses. So that's as good as an incentive as it gets. It's not exactly Dynamo Kia with off- offshore accounts and getting paid uh, 20,000 revenue a month, uh, allegedly. 
for legal purposes. <laughs> I, I could hear the lawyers there. <laughs> yes, I've been here. Since you threw in the allegedly, yeah, absolutely. The lead to edit. The lead to edit. The lead to edit. But now, yeah, Veras. Veras is a club that's close to all our hearts, and it's it's great to see them. Like you say, building sustainably, and and it's something that has been missing in Ukrainian football. And I know when we look later on at the Persia and the Dura Leagues, there's there's clubs that are a bit further behind in in their journey, but they seem to be progressing in the in the same sort of way. Well, um, am I right? There was a transfer deadline day recently as well in Ukraine. I lose track of them all now. These these last few years, they're different in all the different countries. So, uh, quick roundup, Andrew, over to you. The last yes. So, so as as is with Ukraine, their deadline day closes a few weeks after the um, sort of pan-European one. We saw Yehon uh, Nazarena leave Zoria and join Shakhtar. Obviously, back up to Stepanenko there for central defensive midfielder. That's been linked more or less all summer, but it came down to the final day. Um, Kiro Hansev, who recent years has been at Shakhtar, uh, a reserve at Shakhtar, and playing at Mariupol regularly, sort of a fullback slash winger. And Yevhen Shachov, who obviously has in recent years been playing in Serie A at Lecce, um, at uh, Pawok, at AEK. They've both moved to Zoria. Decent signings there. Vladin Yurchenko is back in Ukraine after his uh, brilliant, um, you could say, uh, little move away to Europe, FC Riga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not quite exactly where I think he wanted to end up. But he's back with um, Viktor Skripnik. Obviously got good connections there. Hopefully he can turn Vorskla's uh poor start to the season around and then Dynamo Kiev uh, they signed Lonwijk um, he's essentially a replacement for Shaparenko bit of a central midfielder who can also play on the wing not that Dynamo Kiev need any more wingers in all honesty uh, he made his debut against Minai as did Kahim Paris uh, the first ever Jamaican to play in the Ukrainian top flight which is all well and good but apparently Paris wants to play on the right, and obviously that's Sankov's role. Can he displace him, even though Sankov's leaving soon? Who knows? Samba Diallo is back at Dynamo Kiev as well. He had his first training session at the start of this week, and he looks to be someone who can probably hold that left wing position, which Dynamo Kiev have been struggling to fill since Verbic left, uh, you know, for this whole year, really, even in the friendlies. He should be good to go, especially after impressing in last year's UEFA Youth League. So can he step up? Can he sort of even give competitions for the best left wing in the league with Mudrik? Time will tell from that perspective. However, Dynamo Kiev not getting uh, Dursun from Fenerbahce, who I think, as far as I'm aware, he's got like eight turkey caps, eight goals, and he only made his debut last year or something. So he's actually quite an impressive centre forward, but he's a like third choice or something at Fenerbahce. He was very close to signing. I think it was a three million euro fee or something around that. But in the end, he decided against it. So we're going to have to deal with Besedin, Haramash, and uh, who else? Vanat. <laughs> uh, yeah, for for the remainder of this season, and none of them look to be in any particular good form. And finally. Probably the, I don't know, most heartwarming, but slightly, I guess he might be a bit, bit disappointed. Kirillo Kovalets is back at Alexandria. He left the club in the summer after his contract expired, hoping to get a move in Europe somewhere. I think he was linked with France, uh, Hungary, somewhere else. In the end, it didn't work out. He had a really bad injury last year. Mm. He was recovering. I think no one really wanted to take a risk on him with his injury uh sort of history that he has he was training with Dynamo Kiev sadly he sort of plays in that Bialski role so for whatever reason Luchescu didn't want him and now he's back at Alexandria and he scored the winner on his second debut and he was in tears he was sort of all really happy that he's back on his feet after that terrible injury so uh, good luck to him hopefully he has a good season that's good to hear good to hear 
All right. Before we go, though, we've still got the fun of the purser and the drawer, where the real football takes place, right? And uh, Oblon not doing too bad this season so far. Uh, right where we belong, Arjun, that's true. And uh, right after you reach this first spot, you get beaten by Hirnik Sport Horizhny Plavny. That's the very, very essence of, um, yeah, the wilderness of Persia. Anyway, yeah, there are... Um, there are two groups in Persia, as we know, and uh, Apollon is uh, tied with LNZ Cherkasi, the another giant uh, agricultural club from Persia, and they will be facing them this month on 16th. Mm-hmm. Uh, next game is with Metallurgia Parisia, which is a good one as well. So there is plenty of action, and in general, October is about to be uh, the month of 2022 in terms of football because maybe because the world cup is the, the reason of it maybe just because the guys uh want to have this final go at uh at themselves before uh, the winter um probably that's the case uh, in other news <laughs> amongst persia uh some wonderful goals been scored by karpati against uh, prekarpatia and uh, the Bukovina guy from Chernivtsi scored a great goal from outside the box. Um, Epicenter played in Dunaivtsi, which we visited last year, and it's, it's a cozy little ground, and uh, it's, it's, it's a sweet <laughs> thing to see, truly. Same with Dinas in Vizhgorod. They have their new kids, and they have uh, Holovko as the head coach, and Starenki playing for them, and even scoring. As the acting, um, what do you call it, it's not the uh, playing coach, but the playing uh, CEO. That's the case. So that's fun. That's the way they do it in Kiev Oblast, right? Uh, definitely so. Definitely so. Sorry, Ross. What, I was going to say, what a story that would be over in England. A CEO playing. What, what, you just think of the ethical boundaries that could be perceived allegedly to break. That Who's not going to pick him? Who's not going to pick him? You can say, look, you can play me. Otherwise, there might be an issue of wages this month. You know, I don't know. There might that might happen. You know, that's just you know, it could happen. He's good. He's going to take everything in. He's going to be on penalties, free kicks. He can be on goal kicks if he wants. I just love that story. A playing CEO. We need more of that, don't we? There was there was a great story over here many years ago about John Ryan, who was the Doncaster chairman or owner, and he decided to give himself a run out at the age I think he was fifty-two, playing in the fifth league, and he came on as an eighty. 89- minute substitute for Doncaster against Hereford they're winning 4-2 and he didn't touch the ball and the Hereford central defender said if you touch the ball I'm basically going to eliminate you from the earth so he stayed long away from the earth but I like the fact that more CEOs now are saying yes I'm going to give that a go that, that is a fantastic story I like that we need more from we need to need to hear more of his updates Ray I'm looking forward to uh, and, we, and we do have more right Andrew Yes, we do. <laughs> oh, well, don't forget about CEO, the, the Rail Farmer uh, in the Druha Liga, so Ukrainian third tier. They beat Rubicon Kiev 7 0. And their owner, player owner, uh, came on in the 70th minute. Nothing can go wrong. Again, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> he, came on in, he came on to beat, or I don't know, better his own record as being the oldest professional footballer in Ukrainian history, which he set only like last month, because every time he comes on, he breaks it. Um, so he's uh, Mikola Lechovedov, age 56, eight months and four days. Um, he is probably less of a, you could say, in footballing physique compared to Starenki, who actually was quite a uh, high level professional at the end of his, even though he's a CEO now, he used to actually play quite well. He was at Alexandria and everywhere else. And I mean, you could say he's still got the quality. Maybe Likovedov is slightly less because he's, as far as I'm aware, he was a his, history teacher slash in pharmaceutical business as well, hence Rail Pharma. But yeah, they're playing quite well this year. Remember how bad they were last year, guys? Mm-hmm. I think they're about mid-table. So that, that's all, all good stuff to hear. And surprisingly, uh, our good fr- friend Phil Howden's uh, favourite team in Kiev Oblast, Neva Buzova, who made their professional debut this time round, they're the only team, I think, in all of Ukraine, professional anyway, that have got 100% record still. Uh, 
they've just turned pro this season. Five out of five wins. And, you know, fingers crossed seeing them coming out um, over the next few months as well. Great cracking little ground on the edge of their village there. Really nice stuff. This is what excites me, you know. You mentioned LNZ there, mentioned Neva Bazova, these young clubs coming through, a little bit further back on the journey from the Colosses and the Veruses, but yeah, Ukrainian football may be taking a step back at the top table, but underneath they're building solid foundations for the future. And before we finish up the wrap, the wrap-up, of course, one of the fallen giants, Carpati. Very close to making their return. Picked off this season rather well. Again, some good friends of our pod out in Western Ukraine and in Manchester, of course, Jez. Uh, we'll be very happy with performances there. Uh, tough competition, though, with Polisius Jitomir, though, who are absolutely tearing up Group A. Rather breaking and even surprising, to say the least. Coming out of the Times, uh, Martin Ziegler with an exclusive that Ukraine is set to be part of the Spain and Portugal joint host bid for the 2030 World Cup. Uh, I've taken everyone aback and I'm sure we'll probably find out more information over the coming days. But on Wednesday this week, that's essentially meant to be announced as an official trio bid where Ukraine are going to host well, one of the groups during the group stages and essentially the rest of the tournament will remain in Iberia between Portugal and Spain. But that should be interesting, uh, seeing a lot of hate from certain people on social media so far, saying that Ukraine take advantage of the situation and all that kind of rubbish. But hopefully in the coming days, there should be more information exactly what's happening. But this is as apparently been backed by Zelensky and by Ukraine. And hopefully, you know, eight years down the line, uh, everything should be sorted with the war and Ukraine can be rebuilding to a new and bright future. Uh, but before we go, as always, just a big shout out to Glory Magazine. As you know, the podcast has been in collaboration with Lee, Andrew and the team over the past couple of months, putting together the special Ukrainian edition of their fantastic magazine. All proceeds from this edition will go to support the humanitarian relief in Ukraine. And we know from all the hard work that's gone in over the last few months, it'll be a great read for everyone who reaches in and purchases a copy. Pre-orders are available through their website, which will be attached to the pod underneath. So click on the link, get your order in in advance, and there'll be a wonderful copy of the magazine whisking its way through the post, wherever you are in the planet, and it will come to you as past ones have arrived to me, wherever I have been. Anyway, guys, that's it for tonight. Make sure everyone purchases a copy of that magazine and listens to this fantastic episode. Russ, mate, it's been great to have you on. Some great stories. Sorry we didn't get to mention the Metalog uh, goalkeeper uh, in the show, but it's you always love that great. story, don't you? You're Hulushenko, yeah, yeah. He's, he's uh, wandering around a, a Leeds shopping centre of this week. Some say he never left. Some say he's still there, still still wandering the stalls late at night. No, there is there always is a few stories, but it's where you sort of force them in. It's I can remember when you were talking about uh, uh, Dinamo. I remember going to Contras Aspen scene. Uh, was it? Remember Roberto Nani, an Argentine striker they signed in. And he just never played and he was training alone, but so far away from everyone else, like just in a corner, just doing kick-ups on his own. And I felt sorry for him and I thought, no, this is the life. He doesn't have to play competitive. He's going to be on decent money, living it up. And I thought, don't feel sorry for him. So when Andrew was going on about a Dinamo signing, I thought, You've, what? I just, Roberto Nani popped into my mind somewhere in the corner, just on his own in consciousness, but still doing kick-ups, still taking the money and good on him. I'd do exactly the same. Definitely so, definitely so. Ray, thank you for everything. Excellent research as always. Glad to see you diving in the books and hitting those YouTube documentaries. We'll see if we can find the episode of the one you missed. The five lessons of uh, misery, was it? Yeah, I believe misery was the horror film of 1990. <laughs> but yeah, let's hope it's not. it doesn't get that bad. Great episode, guys. Had a great time. Uh, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Andrew, have a fantastic trip out to Madrid. 
look forward to hearing all the all the news and I guess you'll be head, being in Poland maybe as well before we meet again. Andrew does more miles than Michael Palin, doesn't he? Honestly, he it's does. incredible. Honestly, your travel journals will be absolutely, they'll be, they'll be stupendously long, my good man. I've got no idea how you do it. <laughs> Nothing but admiration. I find it hard to get to the shops at sometimes, <laughs> and then you turn up in Armenia on a Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, that was a fun trip, and yeah, I'm going to be participating in any uh, standing ovations at the Bernabeu, fingers crossed, for a Ukrainian player come uh come the end of this week but yeah good stuff as always guys and make sure you pre-order that glory mag which should be coming out in the next few weeks make sure you do well that's it for today everyone till next time take care stay safe and goodbye for now bye-bye Oh, 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 oh,